If you turn to John chapter 8, we're going to finish chapter 8 uh, this afternoon. And uh, this final study, this study of contrasts, and this one is honor or dishonor. Now, you'll remember if you've been with us, the last five studies that we've done here in the Gospel of John have all been here uh, in, in chapter 8. And chapter 8 is this scene where Jesus is, after the Feast of Tabernacles, he's now moved into the treasury. He's chiefly talking, specifically now, he's talking to uh, those who are members of the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, Jewish religious leadership. He's already made a number of contrasts, four of them previous to this. Now he adds this fifth contrast of honor and dishonor. And and so as he does so, he's talking about uh, dishonoring Jesus versus honoring man. Man says that Jesus is not who he says he is. That is still in our world in a huge way to this day. I've shared with you previously, you can talk to people about church, you can talk to people about God, you can talk to people about religion, you can talk to, about, and talk to people about all kinds of things that rather dance around one central issue, but the moment you boil it down to Jesus Christ is the only way, truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but by Him, when you get to Jesus being Jesus, God's own Son, that's where most people have a problem. And so Jesus is now going to add another layer to this beautiful picture of all these contrasts, honor or dishonor. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we again just come, and Lord, we want you to speak to us. And and Father, as you sent Jesus, your Son, to this world, that the world through him, that through you, the world could be saved, would be saved to those who believe, God, we ask that that pure picture of who you are would shine through. Lord, that you would convince and convict of the truth of the gospel this morning. And God, as you bless us with your presence in this place, as we think on these words, Lord, we hear from heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 48, and we'll finish the chapter down to verse 59 here in John 8. And then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They've gone from trying to debate with Jesus and debate about Jesus to just simply directly insulting Jesus. And so they make a racial slur. They say you're a Samaritan. And and just so you put it into the understanding that they would have had at that day and time, calling a Jewish person a Samaritan was about as deep as an insult as you could possibly give them. Because the Samaritans were a result of the Assyrian captivity. So when Sennacherib, the Assyrian, came and destroyed the ten northern tribes, the children of Israel, and basically wiped them from the face of the earth, he did so by killing off all the men and then taking the women as forced brides, and in essence those half-Assyrian and half-Jewish babies were the Samaritans. And so this was a major insult. No fault of the Samaritan people, by the way, and many of them actually worshiped the true and the living God. But they were absolutely viewed by the Jewish people as someone you don't even want to talk to. Hence the story of the Good Samaritan. It was so 
unnatural for a Jewish person to think that anything good could be done by or through a Samaritan that if you, you know, just why would you even want to talk to one? And so now they're saying that not only is Jesus a Samaritan, but he is a demon-possessed Samaritan. It's like, look, you're, you're, you're born of fornication, and you're possessed of a demon. And so Jesus answered, I do not, not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. He has made case after case and point after point for this entire chapter that he is I am. He is exactly who he declares himself to be. He is the light. He is the light of the world. It came into this world that the world through him, those that believed in him would be saved. And he is not going to budge. This is putting him in harm's way. And we'll see at the end of this chapter that this is the reason that they take up stones to issue capital punishment because he has blasphemed God as far as they are concerned by calling himself God. He's going to do it again. He's going to again assign himself the title of I am. Saying I am the I am. Notice where he goes. I do not seek my own glory, for there is one who seeks and judges. He's drawing them to, the, to attention to who he is. For most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Now again, he's reminding them of his power over death itself, and in this case, a very specific meaning and understanding of death. And we'll get to that towards the end of the time today. And then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Look at it in its context. They are making an accusation. They're saying, we know you are demon-possessed. By you saying what you just said, added to what you've already said, you have got to be possessed of a demon. Abraham is dead. And the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. See, are you crazy? Are you honestly saying that you have the power over life and death and specifically eternal life? Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead? The prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? Now remember that Jesus has repeatedly told them the same exact thing. I am he. If you believe in me, you will not perish. He continues to not back down one iota. And for us, church... For us, brothers and sisters, we must preach the gospel, and the gospel is not the gospel if you remove the centrality of Jesus Christ from it. Jesus alone saves. Religion doesn't save. Church doesn't save. 
Prayer itself does not save. Knowing your Bible actually does not save. It is Christ alone and faith in Him that saves. And the reason this is so important for us is that we are about to celebrate the Super Bowl of Christianity, Easter, amen? So as we celebrate Easter, we have to keep the meaning of Easter in Easter. It's Jesus. It's not about whether we're going to have a great celebration. We're going to do that. We'll pull out all the stops. We're going to do church really, really well. But what we really want to do is tell people about our King, King Jesus. And so Jesus says, look, it's about honoring me. And if you dishonor me, you dishonor the Father who sent me. And so he goes on. I honor myself. My honor is nothing. My Father honors me, of whom you say he is your God. You claim to know him. You claim to serve him. You claim to love him. But do you really? Because he sent me. Yet you have not known him. But I know him. You see, you can be really religious. You can attend church a lot and still not know Jesus. It's a dangerous place to come to. And if I say, I do not know him, I shall be, notice this, a liar like you. This is one heated exchange. And Jesus is not backing down from the heat of the moment. He's saying, look, I'm not letting you off the hook. I'm going to continue to tell you the exact same thing I've been telling you. And the fact is, I am. You claim to know Father without knowing me. You cannot know him without knowing me. Because if you knew him, you would know me. But I do know him and keep his word. And your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. And then the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Seriously? Man, we, we, you're like demented. There's something seriously wrong with your mental faculties. And the Jews said to him, Jesus says back, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, and you can add in, I was and am, I am. He's making a statement. He says, before Abraham was, I am. He gives it no qualifications. He simply says, before Abraham was, I was, I am. You see, Jesus isn't moving not even an inch from who he's declared himself to be. He's saying, I am Yahweh. I am the holy, ineffable name of God. I am the one true God. I am that I am. I'm not less than him. I am him. And I was with the Father, and the Father sent me. And I know him, and oh, by the way, you don't. He's not going, well, you know, I kind of get where you guys are coming from, and you know, and all roads lead to Yahweh. 
Now he's saying, you either believe in me or you don't believe in me. You either honor me and honor my father or you honor neither of us. And then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them, and so he passed by. When you think of this passage, Jesus is saying, look, you you cannot honor God the Father without honoring God the Son. You can't just have God without having Jesus the Son. He's saying you can't have God the Father without having me. Is what he's saying. And he's going to continue to speak this exact same message message throughout his time before he goes to the cross. And for us, we need to remember this is Jesus speaking these words. This is not for us to kind of, well, you know, I don't really, yeah, it's kind of a little harsh. I mean, this whole Jesus being the only way. No, Jesus said he was the only way. So why the Apostle Paul, so convinced of this truth, would write as he writes to the church at Philippi, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He, he, he's not going to say, well, there's, there's another way that you can kind of get there that doesn't involve Jesus Christ the Son. One day everyone, whether you have believed on his name here and now and in this life or not, whether you are destined for heaven or hell, everyone one day will actually recognize that's Jesus, God's own Son. And so as Jesus speaks this final contrast of honor versus dishonor, there's a lot of reasons that we honor people or or honor uh, maybe some type of a a representation of church or even honor what we would call religion. But the true church honors Jesus as I am. That's how we honor God. It's impossible in the other way. And so In order for them to begin to understand this, or at least hopefully get them to change their understanding of who Jesus is, Jesus equates himself in a strange way to to say that before Abraham was, I am. And Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Jesus is saying, look, Abraham was looking for me. And in some very wonderful ways, Abraham actually pictured and saw me. Now think about the life of Abraham for a moment. Because Jesus was telling them something that they should already know. Something they should have already understood. Remember, they weren't exactly, Abraham and Sarah were not exactly the world's most fruitful couple. They were looking for a child. That child comes in very late, old age, almost, one could say, miraculously. And so when you look at the child that is born, it is their only son. Amen? There's going to be another one that will come on, but by the time Isaac is going to be offered, it's Isaac, the firstborn. It's the firstborn that's taken to Mount Moriah. It is Abraham's only firstborn son that's going to be offered up. And so definitely you can see that Abraham saw in that picture a birth of Messiah miraculous birth of his own son he would have seen calvary he would have gone he was going to mount moriah 
to offer up his own son. What does Isaac say? Hey, Dad, we've got the fire. We've got the wood. Where is the sacrifice? God will provide himself a lamb. All Abraham knew was he needed to be obedient to offer up his only begotten son. Abraham saw Jesus. As he's wandering out there on the plains and he meets Melchizedek, both high priest and king, he sees a picture of who we would be in the Lord. He sees a picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb and the marriage of Isaac. And so, here in John eight fifty eight, before Abraham came into being, is another way to understand it, I am. Jesus was who he says he was. But they were not about to honor this son. <laughs> we're not going to do it. And, and you can tell that they understood this exactly as Jesus was speaking it. That's the reason they picked up stones, to stone him. They believed Jesus' own words where he declared himself to be God. That's the reason they're going to put him to death. That's the whole reason they're going to try and put him to death. They want to take up stones to stone him right now, and eventually he's going to go to the cross. So when someone says, well, Jesus never declared himself to be God, though he did not say, hey, over here, I am God, he used God's own name, I am, multiple times to describe himself. So he did declare himself to be God. And he did repeatedly, so much so, that the Jewish religious leadership not only believed him, but sought to kill him. So don't let anybody tell you that Jesus never declared himself to be God. He did. You have to understand the Hebraism here. To say that you are I am is to say you are God. They weren't going to honor him. Instead, they sought to kill him. Jesus was protected divinely. He just walks away from him. Because he was absolutely convinced, as he's saying these things to these people, that he's leaving them with the choice that still exists today. You can either honor Jesus, believe in his name and be saved, or not. You can either buy that choice, be a child of God, or not. You can be saved or not. You can be a saint or you can be an ain't. You can be in or you can be out. You can be redeemed or not redeemed. You can be destined for heaven or you can be destined for hell. But there's no middle ground. Because if you're not in, you're out. There's no kind of sort of in. The moment that you believe that, well, I'm kind of waiting for some type of new revelation so that I can believe, that is the same as saying I don't yet believe. You see, people kind of want to think, well, you know, I'm religious, so I'm, I'm kind of sort of a Christian. You know, being kind of sort of saved is like being kind of sort of married. You're not. 
You're in or you're out. That's not my words. That's Jesus' words. He's declaring, you have to believe in him in order to be saved. He's going to make it more and more clear as we journey through John's gospel. That is a horrible taste to a lot of people. I don't know if you, you know, if you ever think about things that taste terrible. But for the, these guys, this was something terrible to them. This left a taste in their mouth like you can't even imagine. Growing up here in Southern California, most of us that have been around for a while, remember when almost every time they would put in a freeway, they would plant ice plant on the banks to hold the soil. And growing up, you know, you'd look at that, it'd be a hot summer day, and you'd wonder, why did they name it ice plant? It must, you know, be nice and refreshing or something. It's puffy, it looks like, and you put that in your mouth and your lips fall off. It was terrible. Or, or maybe you're like me, I grew up, my grandfather was in the Navy, my dad was in the Navy, and so my dad came back from the Korean War with an affinity for sardine and onion sandwiches like, oh, no, you did not put that in your mouth. Or I kind of Googled. I was looking for things, you know, like new things that people actually liked, and I was like trying to, and there's this restaurant here in L.A. They serve a liverwurst and wilted kale sandwich. It's like, oh, I don't like either of those things by themselves. Much that they sounds terrible. We leave a terrible taste in your mouth. Can I tell you there's a, there's something that's so much worse than any of those things. It's the taste of death. And here's the good news. Jesus tasted death for you so you don't have to taste it yourself. Amen? And so Jesus actually says to them, if you do my words, if you believe my words, you follow my words, you respond to what I'm saying, you'll not ever taste death. Now here's the crazy thing. They're all getting this picture. It's like, well, what are you getting at? Abraham's dead. The prophets are dead. Are you saying that they ever taste? What, what are you getting at, Jesus? Because they were confused. Because the Bible itself actually talks in three different ways about death. You all know the first one, because every one of you is going to, one day, should the Lord tarry a little longer, you're actually going to, you're going to croak. You're going to die. You're going to take your last breath. Your body is going to cease to function. Your brain waves will stop. They'll declare you clinically dead. And then after that, it gets really ugly. You're going to die. Your body was only created to last so long. It's got an expiration date that God only knows. And you are one day going to die. When you take your first breath, you actually took your first step towards your last breath. All human beings die. So he couldn't be talking about that one, because everybody dies, unless they live forever. So what was he getting at? Was he talking about maybe another way, which we understand it, because death is used to express that state of people who don't know the Lord. And while it is necessary that you do come to faith in Christ just because you don't know him right now does not mean that you can't know him. That's the good news of the gospel. If you're here today and you've not believed in the only begotten Son of God, today you can believe in his name and be saved. 
So we couldn't simply be saying, well, there's some unsaved people here. But there is a third way that the Bible speaks about death, and it is the worst taste of all that you can think on as far as death is concerned. And it's actually found in Revelation chapter 20 in its most specific way, and that is not the first death. It's not just spiritual death in the sense that right now you're dead in your trespasses and sins if you don't know Jesus, but there is going to come a point in time when everyone who's ever died who has died without Christ, is going to die a second time. And that one is eternal, and it is way worse than both your physical death and the fact that you are currently unsaved today. Because it will be the death that judges you finally at the great white throne and sends you eternally into damnation and hell. And so Jesus is pointing to that one, He's going, if you do my words, if you believe in me, if you know who I am and trust me, you'll not taste that second death, that eternal death. You see, as you look at those deaths, they kind of give us a picture of the unbeliever's future. Because you've got a choice right now. You're alive. You're hearing this message. You can change your destination. That's the good news of the gospel of grace. Amen? You can just simply believe on his name and be saved. You can change. It's up to you. So we think on those things. That's why Jesus will actually go on in Matthew's gospel and say, Verily I say unto you, there are some standing here that will not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. You can, make a, you can make a change of destination. You can be saved if you want to be saved. That's, that's why Hebrews chapter 2 in that second sense says that Christ tasted death for everyone. That's what Jesus did. As we celebrate Easter, Jesus tasted death for you, for me. That's what he did. Beaten, bruised. The crown of thorns, everything he went through, the mocking, the scourging, being nailed to a cross, put into a tomb. The reason that the world went dark when Jesus went in the grave is he was tasting death for us. He died so that we could live. But he did not stay dead, so in that sense, he tasted death for us. Because the grave could not hold him, amen? And he who is alive is alive forevermore. So in that sense, he tasted that spiritual death, that physical death. He tasted all death for mankind. And here's the great news. He was victorious over that death. Amen? That's why the gospel is good news, by the way. If Jesus died, the gospel doesn't even exist. It's not good news. It's bad news. Because then the king of kings came and he died. But it doesn't end there. Easter is the other side of that story. It's the beauty of it. But for you and I, for Christians, when you honor Christ, if anyone keeps my word, he says here, he shall never taste death. 
What he's saying is, look, you can be born once and you can die twice or you can be born twice and die just once. The choice is yours. You see, for, for me, for those that have believed, for those that have done what his word says, which is to believe on his name and receive the grace of God, I know I'm going to heaven. When somebody asks me, well, what are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to heaven. And they say, well, how do you know? Because Jesus said so. I go to prepare a place for you, Jeffrey Eskill. That where I am, you might be also, because I'm one of his disciples. I'm not an apostle, but I am a disciple, a follower of Christ. I know where I'm going. And I look forward to that day. Not with some morbid distaste for this life, but for an absolute understanding that Christ tasted death for me, I will not face it myself. It's surety. You just walk around going, I'm a child of the king. I know where I'm going. In that sense, I am immortal. Here's the sad news. Everyone actually, in that sense, lives eternally. The only question is where? If you've believed on his name, I can tell you where. Heaven. If you haven't believed in his name, I can also tell you where. Hell choice is yours. That's why these contrasts are so perfect for us to understand what Jesus is getting at here. They're the reasons. You see, you can either accept the grace of God or you can be judged by the law of God. The choice is yours. You know what I want? In Jesus' name, give me the grace of God. Because you compare my life to the law of God I am in deep trouble. Even as a pastor who loves God's word and teaches, does all the things that pastors do, if you judge me by the law of God, I'm a dead man. But I'm not going to be judged by the law of God. I'm going to be judged by the grace of God because Christ tasted death for me. The other contrast, I can either walk in the light or I can walk in darkness. Praise the Lord, the light of the world has come into my life and I walk in light. I can see where I'm going. I can tell the difference between right and wrong. I know which way he wants me to go because I'm going to be judged in the light, not in darkness. The third contrast. You who were once dead, Paul said to the church at Ephesus, he has made alive. Praise the Lord. Amen? I used to be dead in my trespasses and sins. I walked in death in that sense, but now he hath made us alive. So the contrast is life or death. And it means that eternally as well. Choice is yours, choice is mine. I can walk in life, the newness of life. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Behold, old things are passing away and he has made all things new in him. So I'm walking in that new life. I know where I used to be. Anybody else in here used to be in bondage to sin? You don't have to show your hands. The fact of the matter is, we were all lost. 
There is none righteous. There's not a single righteous person in this room that's righteous on their own. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins. But he hath made us alive. So I went from being in bondage to being in freedom. And now I walk around free in the grace of God. Not free to sin, but free from sin. Hallelujah. That's who you are in Christ, by the way. You no longer are in bondage to sin. You actually have had sin defeated on your behalf by Jesus Christ, God's own son. He whooped on the devil. Put a beat down. One day he is going to stand on the neck of Satan himself and finally pinch off his head. Amen. Amen. That's what your Bible says. Oh, yeah, he's going to bite. The enemy's going to bite and snap at us. But one day, Jesus is going to crush the head of the serpent. And then finally, honor or dishonor. When you honor Jesus, he honors you before his Father. But if you dishonor him, you are already dishonoring yourself before the Father. Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came to set us free. But you have to receive that grace gift. You have to believe in him. You have to submit yourself to him. And in doing so, can you imagine when God sees you, he sees Jesus. Because his righteousness, Christ's righteousness has been placed in your account. And if there's such a thing in heaven and God dials up your number, if you've got one, I don't know if any of this is true. I'm using it metaphorically and God looks up my account. It says paid in full. And here comes the sin in and it's erased by Jesus. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember that. Because when you honor Jesus, God looks at that honor and says, enter in, well done, good and faithful servant, to my kingdom of rest, for simply believing on the name of Jesus Christ, God's own son. Honoring Jesus for who he is, what he did, and how he did it. James 4, and we'll end with this as the worship team comes back up. That's a challenge for us. James 4 says there in verse 4, whoever wants to be, therefore, a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You see, you, you can keep what the world says. You can do what the world says. You can wander around this earth in the way that the world sees it. But when you do that, you, you set yourself at odds with God. And he says, why? Do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? He answers his own question. He says, no. He gives more grace, and therefore God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. These proud Jewish men were resisting the truth. And when you resist God, God resists you. But when you bow your knee to Christ... God says, that's what I'm looking for, a humble heart. Someone who will honor my son. 
believe in him and be saved. Would you stand with me? We'll close in prayer. And I want to remind you, we're going to make sure that the gospel is preached beginning next Sunday. We're going to look at the king's arrival, followed by the the king's trial, followed by the king's sacrifice, followed by the king's miracle, followed by the king's glory. That's what Easter is about. And there'll be opportunity then for people to receive Christ. But I want to ask you this morning, if you're here and you don't today know Jesus, I'm just going to ask you to, to leave your seats when we end our service and go to our prayer room and get with one of our prayer team members or prayer partners and invite Christ into your life right now, today. And the reason I'm saying that is you have a choice to make. And they're listed in front of you. And if you haven't made the choice, then you've made the choice to not believe. And so make the choice today to believe on the only begotten Son because He is the only way, the only truth, the only life, and the only way that anyone gets to heaven. Father, thank You for the simplicity of the plan of salvation. Jesus, you came to this earth that the world through you would be saved. Lord, that by believing in your name, confessing our sin, inviting you into our lives, you said you will dwell with us and us with you. And so, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that is yet to make that profession of faith, the simple gospel truth. We can't get to heaven without you, Jesus. We honor you today. We love you. We thank you for saving us who are saved. Lord, bless us as your people. Give us divine appointments to invite people out to these services, Lord. Save the lost. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.